Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. morning our reading comes from Luke chapter 1 verse 46 and it begins Mary said my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my saviour for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Thank you, Ray. Well, I remember the first time I ever met and laid eyes on my wife. Men's Home Baptist Church, 1998. She walked in the door and the uh, wind blew her hair in the breeze and, and I thought I'd died and gone to heaven and sent an angel. And uh, it wasn't quite like that, but I do remember it being a wowee moment where I saw my wife for the first time and I thought, she's a bit of all right. I uh, wouldn't mind getting to know her a bit better. She's a pretty girl. And at the time I had shoulder length hair and I'm pretty sure she looked at me and thought, he's a pretty boy, but that wasn't a compliment. <laughs> Thankfully over time she realised that I was worth um, pursuing and um, I was worth getting to know a bit better as well. I like to think that she came to her senses. And soon after we started dating, at which point she commanded me to get a haircut and I promptly did. But I remember going home that very first day and thinking to myself, I just got a glimpse of someone beautiful and perhaps there was potential for a relationship. A few weeks later, my prophecy was coming true and our relationship was progressing. And after we'd been out with some people, we went to the keg one night and um, we had, you know, hot chocolate or iced coffee or something after church. And after that, she said to me, "Um, why don't you come home to my house and meet my parents? And I remember being very calm on the outside and saying, yes, that would be great. On the inside, I'm thinking, I knew she couldn't resist. I knew she couldn't resist the charm. And so she gave me the address and I said I would meet her there. And so we took off. Um, and I remember on the car, I remember praying like crazy. It was nerve-wracking, meeting the parents the first time. You might be thinking of Ben Stiller and those Meet the Parents movies. And, and I was kind of thinking, you know, it's going to be something a little bit like that. And so I was nervous and I was praying and, and I was thinking, this is a bit scary, meeting the potential outlaws. Sorry, did I say outlaws? I meant in-laws. Um, how did I get that so wrong? Um, but I, I was nervous and so I was praying. My, my mother-in-law's here today, by the way, so welcome. Good to have you here. Um, <laughs> I remember praying that God would calm my nerves going to um, my potential wife. And I, I know I'm skipping a bit ahead, aren't I? Like this is the first time I've gone to a house and I'm talking about potential in-laws, but I was confident. And, um, <laughs> and so I'm praying that God would calm my nerves and that I'd make a good impression uh, on the first date there. And so I was praying, Lord, if this is right, 
um, please give me a sign. Please either open the door or close the door. Uh, I'd come out of a pretty bad relationship, and so I really wanted God to help me to, to make a wise decision this time. And so I was praying, um, not just a prayer to calm my nerves, but a prayer that God would fulfill a desire of my heart to, to find a girlfriend that was the right person. And so I was praying like crazy, Lord, give me a sign. And I'm driving there, and I'm so busy praying that I get completely lost. I'm going to Keysborough, and it's a bit like the Bronx there, so I'm driving around, a bit nervous about what's going on, and, and I'm completely lost, and sorry if you're from Keysborough, and uh, I drove past the street, didn't know where it was, I did three loops trying to find her house, and on the third loop, I looked in my rearview mirror, and there were red and blue flashing lights, and the police were pulling me over, this first date was going really well. I'd prayed for a sign, I'd got lost, the police pulled me over, I'm not sure what God was trying to say. But what I do remember is that my prayer all of a sudden changed again, it changed to a prayer of crisis. Lord, Lord, I cannot afford another fine. Lord, deliver me, I'm too young to go to prison. Please help me out of this, help the the, the policeman to be nice and, and all of that sort of stuff. And so I remember that night very clearly, it's something I'll never forget. But I remember that I've never prayed more in a single journey than that journey from um, Mentone Baptist all the way to Keysborough. I prayed like crazy. And as I reflected on that journey and on that night this week, it struck me that much of our prayer seems to come from desire, needs, or crisis. Have you ever noticed that the world, by and large, don't believe in God and they don't believe in prayer until there's a crisis? And then they become experts with a hashtag. Hashtag pray for Syria, hashtag pray for New Orleans, hashtag pray for New York, whatever it might be. All of a sudden, people who call God the sky fairy are suddenly experts in praying. I'm not sure who they're praying to, but they start to pray in a time of crisis. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about prayer. And it's week two in a a three-week Christmas series called The Promise, The Prayer, and The Prince. And so the title of today's message is The Prayer. And you might be thinking that it's strange to talk about prayer in a Christmas series. But I wonder what you think about when you think of the story of Jesus' birth in the first couple of chapters of Luke. Uh, Maybe you've uh, read in one of the other Gospels and you think of this story and you think of the shepherds or the angels or the birth itself. You might think of the star or the miracles or Mary the Virgin or maybe you think of Santa Claus or the reindeers, which just to clarify aren't in the original story. Um, But I highly doubt as you think about the story that the first thing you think of is prayer. However, in Luke chapter 1, we see a stunning prayer prayed by Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I think there's much we can learn and apply to our own prayer life from her example. And so today we're going to dig in a little bit deeper and look at this prayer and see what we can learn from it. The first thing I noticed about Mary's prayer is that it's a prayer of praise. Verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. You can hear the passion and the thankfulness and the praise kind of bursting forth from Mary's lips. This is a famous prayer and it's known as the Magnificat. And in fact, it's actually a prayer slash hymn and was likely to be something that Mary sung out with great joy and jubilation. Now, some mornings when I wake up, I wake up feeling particularly joyful. Not sure why, just some of those days you wake up feeling great. And on those days, the joy cannot be contained. And a normal spoken sentence of greeting to the family will not suffice. 
And so I walk my way down the stairs and I sing good morning to the family, particularly to my daughters in the kitchen. And I'll walk down and I'll say, good morning, what a beautiful day, I love you. At this point, I go for the hug and they're running around the kitchen trying to escape from me. And so I don't understand why on those days my joy just overflows in a God-given, anointed gift of song that God has bestowed on my life. And to this day, I still can't quite grasp why the family don't really appreciate that kind of greeting at 7am in the morning. I just like to think they're ungrateful. For me, the joy just has to come out. And for Mary, this was such a moment. It was a moment of incredible gratitude that it translated into a song of prayer and praise. As I said before, much of our prayer springs from crisis or desire, but not so much is often dedicated to to praise. I'm not sure that in our fallen sinful state, it's actually a natural inclination of our hearts. Uh, Each night when I put Lenny to bed, we pray together before sleep. And I'm trying to teach him to be thankful in prayer. He's our four-year-old son, for those that don't know. But what I've noticed is that he almost never goes to praise first off. And so I'll pray first and I'll thank God for all the great things he's done in our lives and I'll thank God for Jesus and the great day we've had. And then I'll say, it's your turn. He says, my turn. And he'll pray and he'll say things like, dear God, I pray that we can go to the park tomorrow. Uh, Dear God, I pray that I can get a new toy tomorrow. And his personal favourite, dear God, I pray that we can have Maccas tomorrow. (laughs) I'm actually not sure whether he's addressing his heavenly father or whether he's trying to convince his earthly father that these are good ideas. But this is what I see in the life of our four-year-old son. But it's not just in kids, is it? So often our prayer is all about our needs. Uh, Brene Brown, the author and researcher of Human Connection, says that we're a nation hungry for more joy because we're starving from a lack of gratitude and praise. It's a powerful quote. We are a nation hungry for more joy because we're starving from a lack of gratitude and praise. And I wonder sometimes whether that's reflected in our prayers. When prayer is all about need and desire and crisis, but often lacking in praise. Of course, Jesus taught us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And he started the prayer by saying um, these powerful words, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means blessed, respected, revered, be your name. And it's a great way to start prayer. To start by praising God for who he is, by lifting him up and reminding him of, reminding us of how powerful he is and all he's done in our lives. And when we lift up God, surely that will fill our prayers with immense faith as we remind ourselves of God and his immense power. As verse 37 of chapter 1 says, nothing is impossible with God. And so if that's your starting point in prayer, there's no such thing as a crazy prayer because we serve a God who can do all things. And so Mary starts his prayer with incredible praise. It's her first response. And I think as we read on in verse 48, there's a clue as to why she goes there. Verse 48, she says, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Last week we talked about the promise. That was the first week of this series. We talked about this extraordinary promise that the angel had delivered to Mary. He he'd promised Mary that as a virgin, she was to give birth to the most amazing man that will ever live. His name will be Jesus, the Savior. He will be great. He will be the Son of the Most High, and he will lead an everlasting kingdom. In this prayer this morning, I think she realized, realizes that what is happening in her life is not 
um, because she's earned it. It's not something she deserves, but it's rather the result of God's extraordinary grace that's being poured out into her life. Mary was a great woman, and like many other Bible characters, there is so much that we can learn from her, but she definitely wasn't a perfect woman. I know sections of the Catholic faith put her on the kind of same level of Jesus. And as I researched it this week, it said, uh, it talked about a, a doctrine called the co-redemptrix, which basically puts Jesus and Mary on the same level. And it's a title used by some Roman Catholics to describe Mary, as well as the Catholic theological concept referring to Mary's role in the redemption of man. Now, I just got to say, I don't see any basis for that in Scripture whatsoever. The book of 1 Timothy, the letter Chapter 2, verse 5 says there's only one mediator between us and God the Father, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the only one that we can come to a relationship with God through, not through any other saint or any other person. And so at Christmas time, Mary should be someone who's respected, but certainly not revered. And I think her prayer is an acknowledgement of that. John Piper says that Mary sees clearly a most remarkable thing about God, that he is about to change the course of all human history, The most important three decades in all time are about to begin, and where is God? He's occupying himself with two obscure, humble women, one old and barren, Elizabeth, and one young and virginal, Mary. And Mary is so moved by this vision of God, the lover of the lowly, that she breaks out in song, a song that has come to be known as the Magnificent, what we're looking at this morning. You see, Mary in the world's terms would be seen as insignificant, unimportant, a nobody. She wasn't a celebrity. She wasn't a success. She wasn't powerful. She wasn't royalty. But God chose her to give birth to the King of Kings. It's one of the things I love about God is that he doesn't choose the perfect. He doesn't choose based on how qualified we are or how important we are in society or because we have it all together He uses the broken and the ordinary to do the extraordinary to see his promises come to pass. And over and over again in Scripture, we see that. And Mary highlights that in verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. This Christmas time, if you feel insignificant, Take great faith in the truth that God chooses those who seem insignificant to do incredible things for him. And what fills Mary's heart with joy and her tongue with praise is that God loves to do the, use the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And because of this, God's grace, his undeserved love towards her, in songful prayer, Mary explodes with extravagant praise. In the same way, you and I today have so much to be thankful for in prayer. And Christmas time should be one of those times where in the midst of the busyness that we take time to stop and to meditate and to reflect with thankful hearts on all that God has done for us and all that God has promised to do in the future. I love that old song that says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Some of you are singing it already, not the young ones down the front. Um, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. What a great declaration in our lives this Christmas time. Uh, 2016, whether it's been a great year, the best year of your life, or whether it's just been a really difficult year, uh, either way, as we stop and reflect, there is so much 
in this country, in this region of Melbourne, in our lives, that we have to be thankful for. And so I want to encourage you this Christmas to stop and to spend time praising God in prayer. Every good and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father. And while we often think that we deserve all the blessings in our lives, the truth is that if we really got what we deserved, it would be punishment for our sin and separation from God. But at Christmas time, in this story, through Jesus' birth and eventually through his life and death and resurrection, we're reminded so powerfully that through him we can access what we don't deserve. That's forgiveness. It's relationship with God and it's hope for the future. And that's a life-changing truth that should fill our prayers with praise. And so the first thing about our prayer is that it's a prayer of praise. But secondly, it's a prayer of faith. And firstly, it demonstrates the depth of Mary's own faith. As you look at the prayer, it's basically all Old Testament quotations. It has great similarities with Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel, which Mary would have been very familiar with. But what shows throughout the prayer is her immense knowledge of God's word. And so when it comes to prayer, the first thing that flows off her tongue is scripture. And that's a really powerful thing. Verse 46 in this passage is a combination of 1 Samuel 2 and Psalm 34 verse 2. Verse 47 is Psalm 35 verse 9. Verse 48 is Psalm 138 verse 6. Verse 49 is Psalm 126, verse 3. Verse 50 is the promises of God in Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. Verse 51 is Psalm 98, verse 1. Verse 52 is 1 Samuel 2, verse 7. Verse 54 is Isaiah 41, verse 8. Verse 55 is Genesis 17, 19. And so as she prays, what we see is Scripture flows from her heart and and onto her tongue. Now, prayer is... A critical part of the faith of any believer. I think prayer is part of a mature faith, often an indicator of the state of our relationship with God the Father. And what Mary shows is that her prayer is profoundly shaped by her knowledge, love and understanding of God's word. I don't know if I'm just a really bad Christian or uh, I'm like most Christians, but I find myself easily distracted when it comes to prayer. Very, very easily distracted. I pray every day. Uh, throughout the day, but I must admit my prayers are often distracted once. And I particularly find this when I sit down deliberately to pray. It's like the devil will try and use anything to distract me from prayer. And so my prayers start with good intentions, but they often dissolve in the distractions of life. And so I'll start to pray. Dear Lord, dear Lord, I just pray for this person. I bring them before you and I pray that you would help me through this difficult time. And I'm hungry. What's for dinner, I wonder? I wonder what Kim's cooked tonight. I'm praying. Okay, I'm praying. Dear Lord, um, Lord, I pray that you would help us reach our region with the gospel. Help us to be bold. I forgot to get that email off. I need to do that. Okay, I'll make a note. Hello. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Dear Lord, I pray for the leaders at our church that they would be transparent and honest and they would lead with integrity. Oh, I haven't done the devotion for the leaders meeting. I'm praying. That's what I'm praying. Dear Lord, I pray... And that's sort of the uh, the state of a lot of my prayers. Just being honest with you, you, you've got great inspiration from your pastor, and that's often my prayer life. And I just need to be honest about that today. I, I think uh, maybe I'm odd in that distraction, although I have a feeling I'm in pretty good company today. That often, yes, thank you very much. You're either just being nice or you're being honest, and that's good, both of them. And so I'm in good company. But prayer is something that we often struggle with, and sometimes I struggle with it. And sometimes I think it would be easier to pull a tooth 
than, than, you know, pray for half an hour and you're thinking, where are the pliers? Give them to me now. Because it's difficult. It's difficult to pray. But it's so vital as well. And so I have found something recently that's helped me to be more focused in prayer. And Cheryl Searle gave me a book a few months ago. It's called Praying the Bible. It's by a guy called Donald Whitney. And in this book, he teaches you how to actually pray through Scripture. And he focuses primarily on the, on the Psalms, which are a great book to pray through. But he also talks about other literature in the Bible as well. And I've found it really helpful just to, to keep focused. I, I don't pray this way all the time. But sometimes I'll just sit down with my Bible and I'll open a Psalm and I'll start to pray through the Psalm. And so let me give you an example this morning. Um, psalm 23 is probably the most commonly known Psalm in the Bible. And it starts with, the Lord is my shepherd. You could pray for an hour just about that sentence. The Lord is my shepherd. Lord, I thank you that you are my shepherd, that you watch over me, that you lay your life down for me, that I am protected and safe and that you love me so much. Lord, I thank you that you are my shepherd. It goes on and says, I shall not be in want. Lord, I thank you that you're my provider. You own the cattle on a thousand hills, that your arm is not too short, that as I focus my attention on you, as I seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, you take care of all the other stuff. Lord, I thank you that I shall not be in want. It goes on to say, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Lord, I thank you for your rest and for your peace that passes all understanding. Lord, I thank you that you help me to rest in you. And I thank you that your yoke is easy, that your burden is light. Thank you for your peace. Thank you. I pray that you would fill me afresh with the peace that only you can provide. Now, I don't always pray this way, but I've found that praying this way actually stops a couple of things in my life. First of all, it stops the airy, fairy, fluffy, distracted prayers. Secondly, it stops me pressing the repeat button on the same ritualistic prayers over and over again. Lord, I want a girlfriend. Lord, I want a girlfriend. It's not something I've prayed recently, but, but something people <laughs> often pray. Lord, I want a girlfriend. I want a girlfriend. No, Lord, you're my shepherd. You're the greatest relationship I could ever be in. Lord, thank you. I'll never be alone in you. Thank you. My identity is not found in whether I'm married or not. It's found in the fact that I'm in you. Lord, but I, but I need a job. Lord, I need a job. I shall not be in want. Lord, you're my provider. You take care of my needs. Lord, help me with my stress. I'm so stressed out. Now, Lord, thank you that you give me peace, that you restore my soul. You see how it changes your prayer from needs and doubts and crisis to faith and thanksgiving and praise. It gives focus to our prayer. And so I want to encourage you to give it a try this week. Another thing we have here at church is something Cheryl puts together every month, and it's a prayer list. It's a bunch of things that we're praying through as a church. I'm shaking this really fast because this is a really old one, but there's a more current one and you can get it and you can read it and there's dot points and you can pray through it. And as you do it, you know that there's other people praying through the same things and all of a sudden there's focus and there's unity and it's powerful when we're in unity. And so it's another thing that can focus our prayers. And so if you're feeling like me, that you're distracted in prayers, there's a couple of things that you can try this week. Prayer is incredibly powerful. And Mary's prayer demonstrates a maturity in her faith and a knowledge of God's word and who he is that shaped her prayer. It's a prayer of faith. But it not only demonstrates her own personal faith, it also shows the faith she had in God. Last week we touched on how Mary must have felt with the announcement from the angel. 
this angel appears out of nowhere and makes this great announcement. And at the very least, I think it would be an almighty shock, literally an almighty shock. And at worst, it would have been terrifying. And I think as you read the story early on, it has all the hallmarks of a crisis for someone like Mary. She's all of a sudden going to be pregnant outside of wedlock. Her husband was thinking of divorcing her. She was immersed in a culture where unfaithfulness was responded to by exclusion and shame or even death. How could she ever explain this to her friends and family? Even if the Jews believed that Jesus was going to be the Messiah, uh, all the focus of the nation would now turn to her. And she was young. She was a first-time mum. She was inexperienced. How on earth would she cope with all the pressures that had now come into her life as a result of this announcement? You can imagine if you were in that situation, they're the sort of things that we'd be thinking about. If and but and what and maybe and how's it going to work? But I want you to notice as you look at her prayer, it doesn't reflect any of those realities. But rather it reflects a profound faith in God by recalling his faithfulness in the past and reminding herself of his promises for the future. Verse 48 says, From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So the question I have for all of us today is this. In the midst of a crisis or even uncertainty, what's the first things that come out of our mouth in prayer? Is it fear and doubt, panic, or is it trust and faith? For Mary, in the midst of uncertain circumstances, she finds certainty in the promises of God. Verse 50 says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And by the way, that includes you and me. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. And so if I was to summarize her prayer this morning, I would summarize it like this. He has, he has, he has, He will. He has, he has, he has, he will. This Christmas we can pray the same way, but with a few extra he has's on the end and even more confidence in the he will because of the extra he has. And so I want to encourage you to be filled with faith this Christmas time as we recall this story, as we remember Jesus' birth again this year in the midst of the shopping and the busyness and the breakups and the stuff. As we remember all the elements of the story, I hope we don't miss the element of prayer, the centrality of prayer in this story. And I hope that we'll take the time to stop, to reflect, and to thank God for all he has done. I hope that our prayers will be prayers of praise as we remember who he is and all that he's done through his son. And I also hope that they'll be prayers of faith as we look forward to a new year and new things that God has in store and as we anticipate God's faithfulness and promises for the future. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of prayer, that it's not designed to be a ritual that we labor through every day, but as part of an incredible, life-changing, vibrant, dynamic relationship with you, where we speak and you listen, and you speak and we listen. And it's an awesome privilege to be people who have the ability to prayer. And Lord, we repent for the times when we are so easily distracted. Lord, I pray that we would focus on you, that we would focus on your word, 
And I pray that our prayers would be full of praise, that the first thing that flows off our lips in conversations, in circumstances, and in prayer is immense, extravagant praise of a God who is worthy of all praise. Lord, I pray also that we would be people who pray prayers of faith, acknowledging who we're praying to, the God who created the universe, the God who can do all things. Lord, we know, as your word says, that nothing is impossible with you. And so I pray that we would be faithful in prayer. Lord, I pray this Christmas time as we stop and do that, that you would give us incredible moments in your presence, that you would encourage our hearts and you would give us the ability, fueled by your Holy Spirit, to share the message of Christmas and the message of the gospel with people we encounter this Christmas time in family lunches, in gatherings, in work breakups. Lord, I pray that we would be people on mission wherever we go. And I pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.